Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Movie Mastery. It's the podcast where we're watching the movies that you want us to. I am your host, John. With me, as always, my co-host, Jeff. And in studio. We're together again. We're so together right now. I think this is the first Movie Mastery, so as we make our way through each show, we gotta tell people, we're back in person. And then, you know, for the next few weeks, we have to go, we're still in person. Well, they're getting, the, the funny thing is, they'll be able to tell anyway, because I no longer sound like I'm using a soundboard that's made of sandpaper. Oh, yeah, you don't sound like you're calling in anymore. Yeah, yeah for a long time, I was long-time listener, constant caller. Uh, <laughs> ah, yes, constant caller, please join me, won't you? Isn't that a song? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. No, it's constant calling. Okay. Oh, no. It's, they keep on calling. It's that fucking, it's that, what's her name? El Goulding? El? I don't, I am not Ellie. Ellie Goulding? Which I am, means the Goulding I, in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I am not hip to the pop musics of today, but it was like a, a pop song from, you know what, it's, what makes it sad is I know I'm saying I'm not hot, hip to the pop music of today, but I think that's from like 2012. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing so good. We are going to review the Three Musketeers, not that one, the other one. Whoa, no, good. not that one either. <laughs> I was going to say, aren't there like, I, I, I forgot to look this up, but I know that there was a 2014 one that we didn't watch. Yeah, this is the 2011 one mm -hmm. that has Orlando Bloom and Christoph Waltz. Yeah, if you're trying to Mads remember Mickelson. which one, it's the steampunky one. Yeah, this is the one where... Uh, our heroes have to, you know, save France by getting airships and whatnot. So, like, this one went full. We are just going to barely acknowledge that there is some <laughs> sort of original story to this and then just go whole hog nonsense. I just I, I just want to look up a list of the most recent, like, I'm going to okay. So there's one in 2001, 2005, 2011. A second one in 2011, uh, a 2013 one, uh, a 2014 one, Jesus, a 2009 one called Barbie and the Three Musketeers. Well, <laughs> and then there's like 30 more going back into to, to starting in 1903. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's it. Is definitely one of those stories that obviously has been done a lot, and I can understand the like the director and the writer and everything wanting to do something to set them apart from the previous ones. Cause you already had Tim Curry in a three Musketeers. So at that point you're like, well, what the fuck can we do? Yeah. You've also had Mickey as one of the three Musketeers. Well, I don't know which one we think he is. Was he Athos? Was he portly? <laughs> Could he have been Arami? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately what happens is that since the three Musketeers are, you know, uh, public domain because Dumas wrote it in like what 1844 or something like that. It's very much open, and it's just like Sherlock Holmes, where every couple of years, some someone who currently wants to make a movie in Hollywood's like, no one's making a Sherlock Holmes movie right now. No one's making a King Arthur movie in, in the past five minutes. Let's get one of those done. Oh yeah. And then the director has to be like, fine, I'll find a way to make it mine, I guess. And in this case, ninjas, uh, Mila Jovovic being a ninja, and uh, airships. Yeah, it's very steampunk. It's very modern aesthetic for things. Super irreverent. I think I think my favorite thing about it is that they all speak strongly with American accents, but claim to be speaking French and use uh, common English expressions when someone's talking too much science at them. They'll be like, whoa, Poindexter, French, please. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> I, I appreciate 
honestly, that they did not try to make anyone do a French accent. I think the, they probably tested like one or two of the, the stars of the film. And when w- the first one came back like, oh, I am la French. They were like, oh, okay, never yeah, mind. Luke Evans just comes out and he's <laughs> like, uh, the only French I can do is that guy from the Holy Grail. So <laughs> Logan Lerman, all I can do Pepe Le Pew. Is that useful? No, no. All right. Well, well you're pretty much already doing Pepe Le Pew in this movie. So uh, this murderous psychopath Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Um, what a what a weird film this is. Yeah, I mean, we are going to get into the ridiculous details of everything that they do weird in this. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to say for the spoiler-free review, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to. Uh, I thought this was going to be way worse. Like, it's not good. No, no. I mean, ultimately... This is what, 2011, right? Yep. Right around 2009 to 2013, there were like 16 of these where someone was like, oh, we have a property. Let's put some modern, crazy, super high. Let's uh, spice it up. Let's spice it up with some steampunk shit. I mean, there was 2009 didn't quite start it, but that was certainly when uh, that Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes happened. Oh, yeah. Where they were like running around on towers and there was like robot parts and so on. And that's, I mean, really, we have to give full credit to Wild Wild West. 1999's Wild. That one's way ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the, 2010 seems to have been the watermark for these, oh, what if we took an a, an adaptation and just fucked it into the sci-fi future? For But not the future. It still happens in the past. There's It's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, the let's take something that we can get a hold of and do for free without having to pay someone and then jazz it up a bit is yeah. definitely, there was a time for that. I'm fairly certain there was a Robin Hood one and a King uh, King Arthur one that were all the same shit where they were just like, fucking put robots in there. Give everybody repeating machine gun crossbows. Yeah, the, I mean, at least with, I think it was the Guy Ritchie King Arthur, it was still just dirt nonsense but yeah. it was all modern sensibilities for how you film it yeah well because it starred what's his face uh, the guy from from pacific rim and then also from that motorcycle show that people liked yeah for for a while and then they started not to yeah orange county choppers orange county choppers that's the one i'm talking <laughs> about the one with the famous meme yeah yeah okay yeah uh, motorcycle uh, show it's killing me because i can remember that it spun off a second show called mayan mcs but i can't remember the name of the original show <laughs> sons of anarchy yeah. Yeah. Okay. You knew that and you weren't telling me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was mostly just trying to think of the dude's name, which I still cannot remember. Uh, Jackson Fartleby. Uh, and, yes. And, my favorite. And Jackson Fartleby was like, oh, you want me to do an old timey English accent? Hey, what? I'm an old timey Englishman. I you is. want me to do an old timey English accent? I would prefer not to. <laughs> Vive la France. Fartleby the Scrivener. <laughs> <laughs> that's some highbrow humor mixed with some lowbrow humor for all you out there uh, i love how that's the only reference to to bartleby that anyone can do those oh of course i would prefer not to i mean who's gonna be like let me get some deep cut bartleby the scrivener <laughs> i got a lot of scrivening stuff to go into uh you know what let's let's go ahead let's play a little music we'll do our full in-depth spoiler review because Man, this needs it. We will be right back with the full review of The Three Musketeers 2011. It's a good time for a good time with The Three Musketeers. Because there's lots of puppy nougat with The Three Musketeers. Lots of happy good time faces. And we're back. And it is time to really get into 
what's going on with these three musketeers? <laughs> so can I can I start with with the, here's a problem with the musketeers. They they're sequel to sequels out there to musketeers movies. They've made more a couple of them over the over the decades. But when you're doing one of these like trying to start the franchise ones, there's too much shit. Mu- the, uh, the original three musketeers book is like 1200 pages long for a reason huh. and and the problem with these bo- movies is always that they have to introduce four main characters because it's the three musketeers and d'artagnan yep some love interest for at least two of them several bad guys richelieu a bunch of people who work for him the whole thing going on with louis the 13th and bucking him over in england you need to introduce all this shit and then still pack in a couple of action sequences oh yeah and so this movie is fast <laughs> that that was one of the things that i was like I had heard that this was boring, but I was like, no, nah, this goes at a pretty strong clip. Like, there's not a lot of time to just sit there and be like, uh, nothing's happening. They don't have time for a lot of shit in this movie, and it leads to some fun things. <laughs> like, there's a character, uh, D'Artagnan hits on, like, the queen's handmaiden or something. I forget what she's supposed yeah. to specifically be. Um and she's just like, no, I'm not interested. You're in Paris and your your uh, your attempts suck. And then later she's like captured and he's like, I must go to her for love. And I'm like, but you haven't established any kind of relationship. There was that one time when you hit on her and she was like, nah. You hit on her once and then <laughs> saw her again and, then, and did not talk to and, her. And then, you know, Athos has to get dragged into it. And he's like, yes, son, you must go to her for love. That, Remember, woman, that woman who shot you down once. King and country can wait. But boners cannot, <laughs> especially ones that will go blue with time because she's still not going to d- date you, bro. <laughs> My dude, she don't want you. Take a hint. <laughs> it just it doesn't have time to establish that relationship. We got 11 other things to get through. We've got so many characters and so much crap. <laughs> but we do start with some. Well, I mean, there's it's the standard start of any three musketeers where it like pans across a vista of France or whatever. Well, it tries to explain the basics of what it was like in the 1840s. Um, ah, but mostly it is the 1800s war has come. <laughs> there's poop in the river and the peasants are dying. <laughs> but yeah, I, I um, but in this case, we get our introductions first to the three musketeers themselves, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all three of them are doing badass superhero. Oh, shit. they're all just superhero <laughs> shit from the start, because we get Athos, who has some sort of 1840s scuba gear. Yeah, he's got 1840s scuba ninja outfit and uh, four uh, crossbar support, uh, uh, multi-shot crossbows. Oh, yeah, that shoot, like, daggers. Yes. He has a dagger gun that is repeating, and I'm just like, my dude, what? (laughs) What is even this? Honestly, the fact that he never uses it again is my favorite part of it. Oh, yeah, virtually any weapon the characters use in this movie, they use once. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm going to jump to the very end of the film right now because I don't care. Sure. <sighs> D'Artagnan is given his father's sword. Oh, he just and, loses it. And he's like, ah, yes, <laughs> the, the weapon of a musketeer. This is great. It's my father's sword. This is what I've wanted. And at the end of the movie, he just kind of let, lets it fall off of a uh, Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame. And he's yeah. like, yep, fuck that thing. <laughs> don't need that anymore. <laughs> Uh, I love that scene, by the way. That's that's the art of the uh, D'Artagnan introduction, which we can skip to. But he's out fencing with his dad, who's a former musketeer. Yep. And his dad's like, "Oh, you've you've learned everything I could teach you, son. Take this sword." And the, the D'Artagnan looks at it. Uh, Logan Lerman, by the way, looks at it reverently and is like, "Ah, the true weapon of a musketeer." And then his father walks over to him and paternally puts his hand on his shoulder and is like, "Son, the true weapon of a musketeer." 
is here. And he just points at his heart, you know? And I'm like, wouldn't it be a musket? Yeah. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a fucking musket? I swear to God, I thought that's what was going to happen. He's like, no. The true weapon of a musketeer. And I'm like, where's the gun? Show me the musket. No one in this movie has a musket. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I know it's just enough about history to know that the musketeers, while named after the musket, did not use them for very long. And it wasn't actually their official weapon uh, because they were cavalrymen. So muskets and cavalry don't mix. So they mostly use pistols and swords, even in real life. Yeah, and there are plenty of pistols in this. Yeah, there's tons of pistols and crazy wacky crossbows and saber and rapiers and sabers. Uh, not not a lot of muskets, but but still, it was just a funny like a, with a moment in a movie that's this kind of irreverent to the tone to the book and everything. Oh yeah, I was really expecting that to be the joke, right? <laughs> like, son, the true weapon of the musketeer is the musket, <laughs> and they just hand him one. Here's a musket as well as the sword. <laughs> And I don't know, have you read the original book? I have not. I've read it, and there there's musket stuff in it, but mostly the reason you never see the musket stuff make it from the book to the screen is because it reminds you that these are French noblemen and not, like, cool heroes. Oh, yeah. Because the musket scene where they dispatch an army that's approaching them is them firing muskets at an army and then handing them off to their team of servants who give them a fresh musket every time. <laughs> so they're like, yes, we, sh- we are badass heroes with, like, eight people backing up each one of us. Oh, yeah. Like our own pit crews. <laughs> I mean... Back to the introduction of everyone. Yes. These are just, you know, we're we're super scrappy superheroes, and this movie also really wants to go out of its way to not have them seem like they are part of the aristocracy no no they are not they are they're like poor and shitty and there's only three of them like that's that's the funny that the musketeer de garde which is the the this the historical organization on which these guys are based is three people it's just them <laughs> it's just athos porthos and aramis and they have to live together in a crappy house <laughs> like so like start they, being real like it's a sitcom or something and they have a goofy butler and everything oh yeah they got James Corden. James Corden is Planchette, their butler, uh, just here for a bunch of sight gag jokes. Uh, but anyway, to finish up the introductions, after Athos robs uh, some secret building of its key with the help of Mila Jovovic's character, Milady. Yes. Uh, who, she is a super spy. Yeah. A super sexy super spy. She's basically. She's Black Widow she's in Catwoman. Catwoman. Yeah. That's, it's, it, you're, take your pick. Um, then we cut to Porthos who's chained to two walls, but he's like, no, I, this is my specialty breaking chains out or wall socket things out oh, of the yeah. walls. And he's like, ah, oh, you think you're, you've trapped me here. I've trapped you. Bah. <laughs> yeah. Cause and, they decided that, you know, Porthos's whole thing is just that he is the Hulk. Well, this basically the whole movie kind of plays like, you know how fast, uh, fast and the furious started about car, like carjackers and car razors. And now they all can like punch holes in buildings and stuff. This is like we just didn't see the first five Three Musketeers movies. <laughs> this we, is the third Musketeers yeah, movie. We just we just skipped to this one where we've already kind of moved up the ladder to where Porthos is just a super strong man. <laughs> yeah, we already had the first movie was just Musketeers. The second one was Two Musket, Two Tears. Now we're on Three Musketeers. Yeah, this one's called Three Musketeers Plus One. It's Three Plus Musketeers. One's Keteers. The plus Keteers. The plus Keteers. But yeah, it's got it's got that vibe as if like you just missed the, the few movies that escalated everyone's powers. Oh yeah, because when we get Aramis, he's just like he's Batman. Assassin's Creed. He's he's straight up like brooding in all black on top of a building. Yeah, and then Swan dives onto a boat to get a key. Yeah, he somehow is in Venice for his opening scene, and then like twenty minutes later is back in France. <laughs> <laughs> but. 
But yeah, he is. Basically- well, it's because they're in Italy for this opening scene because they have to get to Da Vinci's secret. That's that's fair. All nonsense. three of them are in Italy. You're right. Um, this this opening sequence all takes place in Italy, and then they're back in France for when Logan Lerman's D'Artagnan shows up. Yeah. So Dar- so the three of them are all shown doing just superhero shit, and basically, yeah, they boil down to take your pick of secret agent for Athos. It's like a James Bond. It's, it's the smart one, the strong one, and the yeah. agile one. But, but it really, it feels like James Bond, the Incredible Hulk, and like the uh, the guy from Assassin's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> Batman. Why not? Uh, but yeah, so we get D'Artagnan. Uh, his father tells him to, to, to head well, into hold town. hold on. We didn't even talk about Da Vinci's whole nonsense. Oh right, yeah. Uh, da Vinci has plans. They they find they oh, the the whole introduction of the three of them being badasses is them stealing the three keys to Da Vinci's secret workshop, which contains the plans for a working airship. Which, as far as I can tell, is just tie a blimp to a sailing ship. Pretty much. I mean, the weird thing is, they get down there and they're like, "Oh, we're just looking for, I guess, this." But it's supposed to be where Da Vinci kept all of his plans that were, like, too great for man to use. Yeah. And none of them try and get any of the other ones. I found that amazing. And then... They destroy it. They destroy everything because the Italian guard or whatever shows up to try and get them. And they blow a hole in the roof so that, like, the canal can flush into there. Right. And... It just destroys everything because they only put this one airship plan into a sealed thing. Which is funny because you see, you see Milady, which I'm, I honestly don't remember Milady as a cat. Uh, I, I think she's De Winter. Yeah, there you go. But in this, she's not called that. She's just called Milady. I mean, she is called the Countess De Winter and like five other things in it. Uh, okay, well, I, I only heard Milady over and over again. But anyway, and she's credited as Milady. Yes. On the screen, they they, they do a, a an introduction for each one of the main characters where they freeze frame on an image of them and then paint over it along with a name because that's the amount of time this movie has. You have to be like, this guy's Athos. We don't have time for someone to say the word oh, Athos. Yeah. We're, we're straight up doing like a Suicide <laughs> Squad intro for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but um, you see her rifling through all these documents and she's like, this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't it. And I'm like, keep those. They're little pieces of paper. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? And you had, even if you only had the one tube to put those plans in, mm-hmm. you could fit some more stuff in there. Get a bunch of them in there. Those are probably going to be worth some money. I know. Even if they're not like, oh, this isn't a super weapon. You're like, yeah, but they're Da Vinci inventions that were apparently too great for mankind to have. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's a microwave in there. <laughs> so, but they steal those plans and then Milady betrays them uh, by selling out to Buckingham. Uh, the current Lord of England, uh, and and he just, even though she is in love with, or no, Athos is in love with her, and they're in a relationship, she's been tricking him the whole time. She's a super secret double agent. Oh, yeah. That's, Milady's whole thing is like, uh, I I am in love with you, but it doesn't matter because I just work for money. All I care about is money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beloved. And she's very Talia al Ghul in this, except that, you know, money instead of dad. Oh, no. I mean, she really is just Black Widow. Black Widow. Or Catwoman. Well, you're, Take your pick. It's one of those. There's so many of those. Yeah, but Catwoman's not a spy. She could be. She'd make a perfectly functional spy. But she isn't. Isn't Black Widow also a thief? Oh, no, wait. Black Widow, not Black Cat. I've got, I'm in, I'm in DC, or, uh, Marvel headspace and it's not working. Black Widow's in the Marvel. <laughs> I know. That's why I said it's not working. It's not. Mm-hmm. You're not working. I had Catwoman up in my head. She's DC. That much, at least, I was able to. <laughs> my problem job. was Black Cat and Black Widow. I'm like, oh, right. Those are two different characters. Yes. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> One of them has powers. One of them is blonde. 
Actually, she's got like, no, wait, it's a wig. She has, she doesn't actually have weird white hair. Yeah, she uh, just has blonde hair. Right. Okay. But then she puts on fake white hair to be, to be black cat. Maybe. Maybe. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Who knows? But yeah, they get betrayed and drugged by Buckingham, but he doesn't kill them because reasons. I, I assume guess. He, he, well, I, I assume he knows full well that they are a threat to Richelieu's power base. And so he's like, great. You guys can't really threaten me. And you're more and you're more fun having a live and fucking up the Cardinals plans. And I guess there's probably a thing where, like, if he had killed them and they found out that would be war. So he's just going to drug him and send him back. Yeah, it could also be that Milady would not brook a murder of the three of them. That well, might I mean, have been part of her agreement. The in-universe one that it gives is he's like, oh, it's so much better to watch you suffer from seeing your love betray you than to just kill you and have it be done. Right. And by the way, uh, Buckingham is Orlando Bloom. It's a minor role, but he hams the fuck out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, good job, Orlando Bloom. You... <laughs> You are the Ewan McGregor of this prequels type of movie. Also, I got to say, th there ought to be a law against putting Orlando Bloom and Luke Evans in the same movie and giving them the same facial hair huh? because it, it, they're the same fucking guy. They're just they're, they just are. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> they absolutely are. There was a point when Buckingham came in. I was like, wait, hold on. I need to see Aramis again to make sure. <laughs> uh, so, yes, then we get our intro to d'artagnan and he gets sent off to go to paris to join the musketeers but instead he makes it almost 30 feet away from his house before he get he tries to challenge uh rochefort or mads Mik mads mads mickelson's uh the first, comte de rochefort yeah the person who's the first in command under uh richelieu uh to he just challenges him to a duel and, Ro and rochefort's like no i'm just gonna shoot you oh god here's the thing with this movie that starts here and continues on. They go out of their way to make you not like these characters. Because we start with D'Artagnan being like, you insulted my horse? Well, I'll murder you then. And you're like, what a dick! What the fuck are you doing? It's weird because you get this little life lesson between him and his, like, beatific, smiling mom and dad up on some sun-dappled French hillside. And they're like, go into town, learn, have adventures, uh, find your love. And he, uh, what he heard was, challenge every single person I meet to a duel. Oh, yeah, because he's I, just I'm... like, oh, uh, I've learned everything about dueling from my dad the ex-musketeer so i'm hot shit and anyone who gets in my way i'm gonna challenge to a duel and i'm like you're a punk asshole and i don't like you but then i also don't like the musketeers themselves because every time we see them at their house with planchette they are just the worst to him and i'm like <laughs> why are you doing that he's nice you're a dick fuck you because he's a servant and they're the aristocracy the movie doesn't want you to remember that but that is what's going on oh yeah because the entire time we see them they're like oh we don't have any money and we're trying to scrape together anything we can and we live in a hovel together and oh we're down on our luck plucky heroes like but you still have a servant mm -hmm. and you can still command him to sleep outside with bird shit on his face. I don't understand. That was a weird one. They were like, you shall sleep on the balcony. And he was like, oh, I'm going to sleep. Because the whole thing, James Corden's entire role in this movie is to have abuse heaped on him and then explain the abuse back at length because that's the joke. Yes. So he'd be like, oh, you want me to sleep on the balcony where the birds will shit on my face all night and I will be cold and freeze to death with bird shit on my face. That's what you want. You yes. want me to do that? Yes, we do. Okay, I'm going to go and sleep on the balcony where birds will shit on my face. 
And it's just it's just that joke over and over again. But I'm still like, it's a big old house. There's three bedrooms, and oh yeah, wh- why don't they just let him sleep on the floor instead of outdoors? It's <laughs> by the fireplace. Needless Curl cruelty. up like a French peasant dog. <laughs> the the needless cruelty to Planchette is like, oh man, fuck the lot of you. Yeah, but D'Artagnan feels like. What I have to assume it was, it, it was like to be Gohan in the early years, where, where he was like, well, the only thing my dad taught me was training and fighting. I don't know anything. Every single person I meet, I'm like, you and I should battle. And they're like, that's not normal. And he's like, it was in my house. <laughs> I didn't have a normal childhood. <laughs> but yeah, in this, he gets to some tavern somewhere and Rochefort insults his horse. And he's like, you need to apologize. To my horse, yeah. or I'll kill you. Yeah, and then he walks off to get ready for a, for his duel. And Rochefort, who's one of the more appreciable characters in the movie, because he's just a mean, he's bad he's guy, just an asshole. But he's you know supposed to be, yeah. so it's fine. He just waits for the kid to turn around and then shoots him in the chest. Well, the arm, the arm. He Doesn't tries go- to because yeah. he's like, oh, why wasn't this lethal? Who can- <laughs> who takes care of my pistols? Yeah, and then he punches the guy who fixes his pistols because he's a bad guy. But he doesn't actually kill D'Artagnan, although that would have been great. Um, <laughs> in, instead, that's when Milady shows up and she's like, ah, no, don't kill the boy. He's cute. You, plus, I have to get to Paris and you need to take me there. So move your ass. Yeah. I don't but, have time for you to deal with this kid. But I like that we establish Rochefort here and it's an early inconsistent characterization for him that he is very expedient and he has no interest in being any swashbuckly in any way. He's a master swordsman, but he doesn't want to use swords. He has pistols. Oh, yeah. I like the whole like, OK, yeah, sure. I'll beat your ass if I have to. But that would be pointless. I could just do this the easy way. And I like that. Yeah. The, uh, are you scared of a fair fight? No, I just don't fight fair. It was kind of a fun, yeah. a fun little rejoinder. Where he, was, he was like, no, of course not. I mean, I just, I, it's Why just so easy I do to that, shoot though? you. <laughs> you. You were just threatening to murder me because I made fun of your horse. I don't give a shit about it. Yeah, I mean, the big, uh, the big airship fight between the two of them is, is fun because the kid's trying to goad him into like a, du- a duel of honor and he's like, kid. Haven't you picked this up yet? I don't do that shit. That's not my jam. <laughs> but yeah, we also uh, are introduced around this point to uh, Cardinal Richelieu, here played by Christoph Waltz. Um, he downplays the character very significantly, and it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very clearly hot off like Django Unchained and shit here. I mean, although I think this predates Django. This, so he's probably hot off in Glorious Bastards. Oh, he's just hot. Yeah, uh, but he's. It is fun because again, they don't bother with French accents. Fuck all for anyone in this movie. So he's got a fucking German Austrian accent. Yep, doesn't don't, matter. Don't worry about it. None of it matters. Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> just sounds like Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> but yeah, and then when D'Artagnan finally like gets to Paris, he sees Rochefort again. He's like, "Ooh, I gotta go fucking fight that guy because I'm just." a murderer and that's my entire personality yeah so he tries to chase him down and murder him and keeps running into each individual member of the musketeers and challenging them to duels oh yeah the whole thing is just like oh i ran into uh athos and he was drinking and i spilled his drink and he's like i don't have time for this but i'll we'll fight at noon over in this courtyard and then he you know, runs into the rest of them, and he's like, I'll fight you at one. I'll yeah. fight you at two. Yeah, because Porthos, he he tries to give Porthos back a purse. Porthos was buying clothes with some noble lady's money because he's broke. But obviously, you can't be seen doing that um, if you're French. So, 
So he has to play it off and be like, I'm not taking that woman's money. How dare you? You and I shall settle this with a duel. Yeah. I still can't. The thing I can't get over in this movie is it's called The Three Musketeers, and it's got The Three Musketeers in them, but they are definitely not the stars of this movie. <laughs> They're, some of them are barely in it. Luke Evans feels like he has fuck all to do. Luke Evans' entire thing, where he meets D'Artagnan in this, and he's like an old 1840s meter maid handing out tickets because horses shit in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's weird that that never comes up again or is mentioned or Porthos's lady never mentioned again and Athos's drinking basically never mentioned again <laughs> like none of these intros matter the only one that gets any any follow-up is that is Athos's drinking because there's a part where he's like oh I've given up on everything because I was dumped by a lady the only thing okay. I believe in is coin and daggers and drinks yeah and he's also of the actors portraying the musketeers he's the main character of the musketeers so, so to speak he's also far and away the least famous one. Oh yeah he's matthew mcfaden where the other two are, are luke evans as we mentioned and it's ray stevenson as porthos which is fine casting i don't i, I don't mind having a punisher for porthos honestly it would have been great if all three of them were punishers get three punishers get in three here punishers. The three have, punishers yeah aramis could be uh could be john bernthal and uh, we could use uh, Dolph Lundgren as Athos, and that'd be fine. The Punisher's three, we'd call them. Aha! <laughs> or we could get the, uh, I forget the guy who played the Something other. Something Jay. That's making it worse. Screaming Jay Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Screaming Jay Hawkins. That's what it is. <laughs> I had forgotten. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> My pleasure. But the three Punish the, the Punisher's three would be a fine a thing I would enjoy watching. Uh, Thomas Jane, that's mm -hmm. it. Screaming, Thomas Jane. Screaming Thomas Jane Hawkins. There we are. Uh-huh. Uh, so th then they all, they all meet at Potter's or Cooper's Field or whatever to have their duel. And instead, uh, the second in command of Richelieu's men shows up, uh, J Jusak? I don't know. Jusak? Uh, but yeah, they have a big fight and it's just there so that the four of them can fight a ton of guards and clown on them while everyone around them cheers them on. Also, the scene is important for endearing D'Artagnan to these four, uh, which I, I assume is just like uh, when, when you meet the kind of people who are like, oh, I love keeping shitty little chihuahuas that like try to attack everyone because they're like, oh, they're so sweet to me, though. Uh, and, and, you know, they're only a little rabid and weird and crazy. <laughs> Uh, they won't bite you if you don't get near them. Yeah, so after just they, don't get him biting range. Yeah, so after they settle that he's not going to duel them anymore, they're like, well, let's just bring him home. Aww. He's a little monster. It's adorable. <laughs> this guy just wants to murder anyone who talks to him. Oh, we're going to have him fuck up our servant. <laughs> it's just so weird. This is also the scene where uh, he gets to meet the handmaiden and get shot down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cause she's just, he tries some line on her where he's like, I'm cocky on Tuesdays or when beautiful women are involved. And she's like, yeah, this is Paris. We have good pickup lines. <laughs> anyway, bye. The fun, one of my favorite running gags in this movie is that the, um, they keep calling him. It's a thing from the book. Uh, they, 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 they call him a peasant from the region he's from. So they just keep calling him a Gascon. Yeah. Uh, but they pronounce it because no one has a French accent in this movie. They just call him a Gascon. And yeah. everyone's just like, I'm going to fucking kill that Gaskin. If I catch that Gaskin, I'm going to get him. <laughs> oh, where's that Gaskin? And I'm like, isn't that like part of a horse's leg when you say it like that? That's kind of a. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a car part? I blew a Gaskin. <laughs> just fix the damn thing and leave my private life out of this. Okay, pal? <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, the <laughs> we get introduced to Richelieu and 
Louis and yeah, all Louis, the Louis the Thirteenth uh, played here as a, a fop who you're supposed to like. In honestly, he kind of ends up pulling it off. Like <laughs> he ends up being endearing because he's very oblivious to what's going on around him. Mm-hmm. But all he cares about is competing with Buckingham mm-hmm. for fashion. And also, he has a crush on his wife. He's a, he's a total wife guy in a world where he did not pick his wife or anything. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I had to get married when I was young for a political reason, but I actually straight up have a crush on my wife, and help I don't me. know how to do anything. Guys, guys you got to help me score with my wife, yeah. which is an adorable thing. That's why. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. He loves his wife. But he's still a French king named Louis, so you know he's a real piece of shit in the interim. <laughs> they're, just, they're just careful to elide any time when, when, when they're like, sir, this peasant did anything at all and he's like oh i don't care feed them to cats or whatever <laughs> have their ba- the cats hungry then have, feed him to cats have the balls have his balls sent to the farthest corners of paris <laughs> yeah the the movie really really wants to be like no there there are only some bad rich people everyone else is just sort of fun loving because louis loves the antics of these three musketeers and when they're supposed to be brought in for discipline because they fought all of these uh, guards. Mm-hmm. Then he's just like, oh, man, the four of you beat up 40 of these guards. That's rad. Anyway, all of you get new suits and a pouch of gold and uh, shame, <laughs> and shame. Stop fighting. Don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because you can tell that Richelieu wants these three fucks gone because they're the remnants of the old guard. Uh, and he yeah, wants they're to re- loyal to the king and not him. Yeah. And he wants to replace them with church guys. And, and, uh, but everyone else in the kingdom is like, no, we love these fucking guys. No, every time we watch these guys, they do absolute nonsense because they're superheroes and we love it. Uh, was that Juno, what's her face as the queen, Juno temple or whatever? Uh, as the queen, I don't know. Mm. Juno temple. That's it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And she's fun in this as well. She doesn't have much to do, but it's clear that she's just like excited because she feels like for the first time in her life, her husband has any interest in her at all. Oh Yeah. She's like, ah, oh, I kind of also like my husband. Yeah, that's honestly, I would have much rather watched that movie. These these two people who are in love and they're like, I don't know how to. I, I, I'm God. an awkward 16 year old and I don't know how to talk to my husband. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, how shall I do? How shall I address my own wife who I've been married to for years? It's great. It's an adorable the little thing. The subplot there is wonderful. Yeah, it, it it takes the edge off knowing how heinous all these people actually were. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we also find out that Milady is actually working for Richelieu, so she is a triple agent that was going to work with the Musketeers and then betrayed them to Buckingham and then betrayed Buckingham to Richelieu. Yeah, and she is. She's playing every side of the angles. Yeah, she's just the super spy. So uh, she now has to be like, oh, okay, I'm pretending to be with Buckingham so that I can get what I need from him because we're going to try and start a war between England and France because that's what we're trying to do. So to to sum it up, because it's a convoluted plot, uh, she's going to steal a specific diamond necklace from the queen. And she does this by... There's a scene where she straight up like has a Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. She Mission Impossibles into this room and they have the 
old-timey version of the laser grid. Monofilament tripwire, which is still not old-timey at all. It's it's hilarious when she throws a ribbon into a room and it falls apart 12 times before it hits the ground, and she's like, ah, yes. The- but she still has to do the same thing where she's like, I'll blow powder into the room, and then I can see the lasers. I mean, the wires. The the the, the monofilament wire, which, whatever, it's another, fuck it, Leonardo da Vinci came. You know what? Raphael did this one. <laughs> You know what? Donatello showed up. He did machines. <laughs> I know that only Da Vinci was an was an inventor. Shut up. Botticelli invented a brush stroke so fine. <laughs> These are actually painted on, but they'll cut you nonetheless. <laughs> Such was his mastery of perspective. They're painted on the walls, but the illusion of bass relief. But yeah, but she has a scene uh. where she strips into her uh, her. Like corset corset ninja outfit which is and she has like hair equipment all of her equipment is hair fascinators uh it's such a rad scene but she steals okay so to get back to the point she's gonna steal the queen's necklace richelieu is gonna put it in the king's head that he should invite his wife to a date and ask her to wear that necklace and and tell her or, or, or well, because he has told milady to forge mm-hmm. some love letters from buckingham to the queen yes. and have it also said in there that she gave him that necklace as a token of affection for consummating their love. Yes. So now the plan is to steal the necklace, get the king to ask her on a date, and so she wears the necklace. If she doesn't, then obviously it's because Buckingham has it. War war were declared and it helps Richelieu for, uh, take over France. Yes, because obviously this kid will be disgraced that his wife was having an affair with a, an English noble and they'll look to better leadership and that will mean he'll get to take over. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, so that part's happened. Milady has successfully stolen the thing uh, and that's when Buckingham shows up to receive it and because she gave him the plans, Buckingham has an airship so he shows up to uh, Versailles in an airship. Yep. And it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I know you want to make an entrance, but also probably you want that to be, you know, a secret weapon and not just like, I have this and you can plan around it now. No, I mean, the, the credit sequence tells us that the secret weapon of him is that he has like 30, 50 of them and not one. Oh, I know. Yeah. Honestly, the credit sequence of this, I was like, don't do that. Don't pretend you're going to make another movie. Well, that's the thing with the Three Musketeers movies. They always think there's going to make another one. Why? Well, because there's so much more fucking shit in a Three Musketeers novel. Huh? The, that book is enormous. They, they, It's like their whole fucking lives. There's so many other stories you can tell than just dicking around with Richelieu at the beginning. Dicking around with Richelieu. Richelieu. <laughs> uh, but he shows up in an airship and we get a little bit of petty rivalry between, was that Freddy, Freddy Fire or whatever that guy? Freddy Mercury, Freddy Fox. Freddy Fox, thank you. Freddy Fox playing the king and uh, Orlando Bloom as the ex- exceptionally foppish yet kind of badass Buckingham. Oh, yeah. The line that Orlando Bloom walks in this movie between complete fop and and giggling madman who's like, ah, all goes according to plan. But also, have you seen my outfit? No, he's straight up as Kefka. It's great. It's, honestly, Orlando Bloom for Kefka. Let's get a Final Fantasy VI movie going. <laughs> it's going to have 14 main characters. I have, a, uh, let me let me show you my notes. <laughs> let me show you these notes. The movie's going to be 11 hours long. I don't think we have room for an, for an intermission. <laughs> uh, but yes, they they have that whole thing then that's mostly an excuse for, you know, the handoff of the necklace to mm-hmm. Milady, who Buckingham doesn't know is going to have it, because the whole point is 
he can't know because Buckingham probably doesn't want to go to war as well. Yeah, so he could just be like, what What are you talking about? I don't have a necklace. I, I, I have not had a relationship. Yeah. Um, so so that's... uh. It's it's wheels within wheels, and and they leave. Milady gets onto the airship and leaves with Buckingham after a couple of hours of Buckingham fucking with with uh, poor Louis the Thirteenth by constantly changing colors of outfit while Louis tries to copy him. Yeah, and the plan is for her to put the necklace in the Tower of London because that way it's the most secure location, <laughs> and if the musketeers try to go after it then, like, they would start a war even if they did get it. It's a weird thing that I'm like, you know, when they do go after this, they basically attack England as, like, agents of France in broad daylight. Yeah. Undisputably. But, but they weren't bidden to do so, or at least they weren't officially bidden to do yeah, so. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. If three American spies show up and set off a bomb in the, in like the tower of London and everyone points to them and sees it and goes, yes, we are aware they were wearing American flag pins and said, (laughs) hello, thank you. I love America. Only if they get caught. And honestly, if they fail in their mission, any, then they go to war anyway. So really it doesn't matter who you send. They should have sent more guys. (laughs) It's war or different war. Uh, but the plan as it stands is that they're going to raid the tower of, obviously it's got to be the tower of London because I mean, this, this fucking movie ends with two airships landing on the spike on top of Notre Dame. Yeah. That's uh, the, that's the kind this is the kind of movie this is. Well, yeah. It, as soon as you realize, oh, it's the type of movie where they want to use landmarks to get blown up. Cause that shows you how cool things are. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure this, the, the uh, people who were making this movie were disappointed when they learned when the Eiffel Tower was built. Ah. They're like, oh, they're going to fucking crash into the fucking Eiffel Tower. Uh, that was built in the 1900s. Oh, fuck. God <laughs> damn it. Uh, that's okay. We're also putting all sorts of dumb anachronist nonsense in here. Let's just go ahead and have a proto-tower. <laughs> this is the prototype for the eventual Eiffel Tower. Behold, the Eiffel Spike. <laughs> uh, now we have to get there by flying under the Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> the entire thing here where they have to go get the necklace, though, is... It's the heist moment. It's the heist moment, and it's also the wheels within wheels, because they are like, okay, how are we going to get in here? Here's all the defenses they have. Here are the points where we could enter. These are... Like, our strengths, and this is what we could do. But, Milady already knows that, and we have Milady explaining exactly what they would do to break in. Mm-hmm. They're like, so what we have to do is not that. The so what we're opposite. going to do is instead of you causing a diversion and then we'll go in, is we'll cause a diversion and you go in, but then it's actually <laughs> the yeah. other way around. Because what happens is D'Artagnan goes in alone while the other three are supposed to cause diversions, which they do by pretending to get into an ox cart accident. Um, and then, oh, and uh, also uh, the handmaiden that D'Artagnan has a crush on gets captured by bad guys at this point for pretending to be D'Artagnan. Yes. Um but that's we need to know that because she's going to show up strapped to the second secret airship of the movie. Yes. This is a movie with a second secret airship. Oh, yeah. Um, 
But so he's going to be the one to infiltrate. He gets caught immediately. And while Buckingham's like, uh, of course, Milady told me how all of your plans would work. Why did you let's let's talk about how I'm going to torture you. And he's like, oh, no, actually, the plan was I was the decoy and the other three were going to steal your fucking airship. And <laughs> why don't you look out the window? And then there's just Athos sitting there at a cannon. He's like, and away we go. Yeah. And starts blowing up the Tower of London with a bunch of airship cannons and flamethrowers. I The fact that this airship also has a flamethrower on it. I was like, guys, it has a Gatling cannon gun. I think my favorite thing it has on it for the ship that you're supposed to think is the only ship in the world uh, is the gantry that can connect it to another airship in the sky. Hey, <laughs> that was for the French one. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. You had a good point there. They knew they'd need a loading gantry. Yeah. Because they were planning to commit a daring air princess robbery uh, <laughs> or necklace robbery. Uh, so now they, they blow the shit out of the Tower of London. And it, it's honestly, it felt a lot like the scene where the helicopter tries to blow up Agent Smith in, in, in yes. interrogating Morpheus. Because they use well, the same slow-mo. Yeah, they have slow-mo and you have to have D'Artagnan with like chains around his hands mm -hmm. run and jump out the window as an explosion happens because this is that kind of movie. It's the exact same fucking scene. They just did it a few years later. They were like, well, let's see. No one remembers the year 2001. That was a decade ago. We can just put in the Morpheus tower escape. We can just do that again. <laughs> no one's going to notice. This is set in ancient England <laughs> by ancient. I mean, in the 1840s, <laughs> ancient prehistory, <laughs> the, a lot of them take the ship and they head off back to uh, pausing France. briefly to kidnap Milady, who's attempting to escape in a horse-drawn carriage, which they steal with a giant hook and crane attachment that is specifically built for hauling in horse-drawn carriages. Oh, that was great because again, it's one of those ah, I know, but I know she knows I know, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh. We know that it wouldn't actually be in the Tower of London because Milady would never let there be any chance, however slim, that we would succeed and find it. So she would take it. So they sent Planchette to be her driver on the carriage so that he could stop the carriage in the correct place so that they could pick her up with the, a the bunch of cranes. The hook and line crane attachment that this airship had. Leonardo da Vinci really knew... For a guy who lived 300 years before this happened, he had a lot of ideas about what they might need. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's when they get the necklace from her, because, of course, she would have it on her. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's the one who got it, because, of course, she's, it's not like uh, she needed to leave it in Buckingham's house, because the whole thing was absence of evidence would, would be enough to start the war. Well, it's, again, it's they can't let them get it. So if it's in the Tower of London and they succeed in the raid, then they'll get the necklace, so she has to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they, but she knows this is her carriage and it has secret gun holding compartments, but they know that she knows about her secret gun holding compartments. So they had planchette sneak into them and empty all the gunpowder out of the guns. <laughs> it's just so many of these back and forths. Yeah. And then they get the necklace and make her walk the plank, the sky plank into the ocean. Yeah, it's an interesting scene where they're like, where she even like talks to them about it because, you know, she had that fake relationship with Athos. It wasn't fake for him, which is why he's such a sourpuss through this whole movie. Because um, you don't get a whole lot of introduction to, to these musketeers and their feelings. Basically, Porthos is happy and friendly. Uh, Aramis is religious. Yep. Uh, and that's his entire characterization. Yep. I feel like Luke Evans got robbed. <laughs> and uh, and Athos is 
morose and grumpy because he got dumped. That's his whole. So when when she's like, are you going to kill me now? He's like, yes. Did you kill Buckingham? No, I don't hate Buckingham. Yeah. And she's like, oh, fuck. Buckingham didn't betray me. You did. Yeah. He's a foreign national. Like, I don't care. Yeah. And she responds by not letting him shoot her, but instead by voluntarily falling off the airship over the ocean. Uh, Or I assume over the English Channel. She did it for me because she knows I couldn't live with myself if I had shot her. But you can live with her committing suicide so you won't shoot her? Yes. 100%. (laughs) Those are different. That was her choice. You know, Look, really I'm just unlike- going to start swinging my arms, and if you get hit, that's your fault. <laughs> Look, you're firing an old-timey pistol, like a cap gunny looking pistol. It's probably not going to kill her, so she would have fallen to her death either way. The only difference is whether or not there was a bullet in her. <laughs> uh, Please don't. No no more of this. Besides, she survives. Obviously. Obviously. Duh. Because <laughs> she falls through the clouds, and we don't see her and what happens to her. So, duh, she lives. Yeah. And uh, now they have the necklace, and they are heading back to France because they need to get that necklace to the to the queen, who knows what's going on. They've got to get it to her in time for her to, to put it on and have it at the party so her husband doesn't declare war. Yep, and they get met on the way to France by the French version of an airship because Milady had already stolen the plans and given them to Richelieu, and they built a bigger better version Mm -hmm. which again i assume just means they built a bigger gas bag because it's just a fucking boat i mean it is it's a bigger boat with a bigger gas bag they're just like hey we made a bigger version of this and all the bad guys except richelieu are here now we've got rochefort and his second in command guy and they're like obviously you can't win this fight we have a bigger airship and the high ground and we just to drive it home there is a moment where like the french airship shoots at them and it just blows pieces of their they airship shoot apart. back. That was great. Yeah. And they shoot back, and then it just goes donk and falls <laughs> and like leaves a dent in their ship. I really wanted Mickelson at that point to like lean over the side and be and be like, "Yes, we call it the Ironclad Initiative." <laughs> and then look at the camera. Anachronisms. <laughs> that won't happen for another twenty years or so, and not in the sky. <laughs> uh. Um, okay, anyway. The uh, French ship also has the handmaiden tied to the front of the ship. Which, by the way, the front of the French ship is like a giant skeleton with a cross in one hand and a sword in the the other. It's great. Oh, it's it's a very (laughs) religious front, because it's got, like, Pope hat and the cross and whatnot, but it's a scary spooky skeleton honestly if you were using this movie for any kind of source material it would be for for uh, a new uh, tabletop war game called warhammer 1840 uh, i'd play that yeah yeah because this would be a perfect example it'd be like the super heavy vehicle that richelieu gets to deploy <laughs> um but but it's funny when they're like okay well we offer an exchange i'll bring the necklace over to your ship if you take untie that princess and let me have her or handmaiden or whatever and let me have her and they're like sure and then off screen, they untie her because I'm like, how the fuck are they going to do that? Oh, yeah. she's, she's tied to the outside front of the ship. Yeah, you can't. I was like, do they have? Do they tie her in such a way that she's also got like a rope that leads back into the ship? What are they? How? Whatever. Don't worry about it. They just do it off screen. Yeah, uh, we got her. <laughs> okay, here she is. They extend a gantry, but of course, Mads Mikkel or Rochefort is 100 a cheater. So as soon as the exchange is done, he just cold cocks. Uh, D'Artagnan, because he's the one who walked back over with a necklace and is like, great, now go kill the other ship. I don't care about a fucking handmaiden. Who gives a shit? Yeah. We're blowing that thing out of the sky. Uh, and then 
Swashes are buckled. Yeah, they have to fly into a storm to lose them, and the storm manages to fuck up the French ship a bit, and then allows them to do what they needed to do, which is, instead of shoot their cannonballs at the impenetrable hide of the ship, shoot it into the goddamn gas bag. Well, yeah, because they when they went into the uh, the storm, all they did was go up. They just threw ballast and went up. So when the French ship came in after them, all of a sudden, the uh, the, the British ship, crewed by French musketeers is above them and has the high ground yeah and then it just shoots down onto them and blows the fuck out of their ship crashes into it the two that now they're fighting and sinking at the same time and they shish kebab onto the spire on notre dame yeah we get a wonderful little what should have been a like ah yes good finally we've been waiting for these two to fight between d'artagnan and rochefort but it really does come down to you We've spent this entire movie, and you've wanted to murder this man this entire time, and your final quip to killing him while you duel on the top of this is, you shouldn't have insulted my horse. <laughs> and I'm like, you're a crazy murderer. Yeah, that, that's right. Like, they really don't, they're supposed to, they're setting up Rochefort as, like, a straight-up foil to D'Artagnan, who can be killed in this movie without upsetting the usual balance of the Musketeers, where you need Richelieu around to be their fucking Gargamel. Um... So Rochefort's here to be the guy who can die, but the, the best they could come up with for why he's going to die is he said that a, a piebald horse kind of looked cowish. Yeah, and that's that's it. That's the whole reason for this thing. And Rochefort, up until the point where like he shows up with the airship to shoot at them, has also done nothing more to them from no, that. In fact, he's multiple times has seen this boy and just been sort of like, oh, it's that kid. It hey, never, never hey. once has been like, oh, good, I can finish the job or anything. He's just like, oh, oh, you've raised your circumstances significantly. Kudos to you, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like, it's just so weird to have one of those fights where it's supposed to be this hero versus the villain. And it's, I can finally get my revenge, but the revenge is just, you said bad things about my horse. I mean, to be fair, at, by this point, Rochefort has also kidnapped the woman he has a crush on, tied her to an airship cold cocked him uh and but it that's not what he says when he kills him when he kills him he's like you shouldn't have insulted my horse because that's all i care about <laughs> well i mean to be fair to to be fair to the screenwriters if he hadn't insulted the horse d'artagnan wouldn't have gone herring after him in paris and met the musketeers he's right insulting the horse was the thing that started all this bullshit <laughs> It would have played out differently and without D'Artagnan, which would have been fine because then you could have seen what's up with the three musketeers. I mean, he was going to Paris to join the musketeers. Yeah, and he would have gotten there and been like, I wish to be a musketeer. And they'd be like, no, it's a dying order. There's only three of us left and we don't want to share any of our, what, three dollars we have with another fucking kid. <laughs> Instead, he had to challenge them to duels and then prove his valor on the battlefield by spanking a bunch of useless religious troops. Ah, uh, so the the culmination of this, outside of dueling on top of Notre Dame, mm -hmm. is they get to bring the not since Disney's Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah, Hunchback, no, of, hunchback Notre Dame. of Notre Dame. Not you know what? Bell shows up. Also, in not since. <laughs> Bell does show up in Hunchback, so I, I think it, I, it's okay. It, that, it counts. That's why it's I got all confused. France. Everyone knows about that scene where you can see Bell in one crowd shot in Hunchback, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they take the English airship, crash it into the courtyard of the palace, and are like, hey, king, 
you said you wanted one of these, so we got it for you. Right. And the the most important thing, the rule by which every single person in this movie plays is the king can't know that Richelieu is a scheming ambition person. Yeah. So they say, oh, uh, we got this for you. And hey, it turns out that Rochefort was uh, a double agent and he's the one who planted things and also was planning on trying to, I don't know start a war or whatever, and uh, Richelieu knew about it and sent us to stop it, here's a letter that says that we did it under his command. Mm-hmm. Um, and why they don't just throw Richelieu under the bus is a mystery to me, but I assume it's... Because he wouldn't believe them. The right. whole point yes. is it's supposed to be, but he's my trusted vizier. Right. What proof do you have? Uh, but he basically is just like, good, well then, congratulations, and I suppose I'll throw more rewards or whatever at you, but now I'm going to go home and dance with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and somehow, before crashing this airship into <laughs> the... Uh, the garden of this castle, they managed to get both the handmaiden and the jewels back to the queen such that she is already in the courtyard wearing them when they crash. Okay, so here's how that that all works. Obviously, it's going to take them hours because the way that they managed to crash the other airship is by ramming it with the, with the British airship, and then the two of them land in a tangle on the sp- impaled on the spire of Notre Dame. So to extricate the British airship is going to take an insane amount of work. Um, while they do that, they just let the handmaiden off the ship and off of Notre Dame. And then she goes over to Versailles and gives it to the queen. And it's, <laughs> and, and they're, and she's like, why don't you guys just come with me? And they're like, well, we have to make an entrance. Obviously we're going to need this airship. And that's why we need the crews of both these ships. Everyone who's still alive to help us fix this one so we can crash it into Versailles. <laughs> And indeed they do. <laughs> it's the only thing that makes any sense, especially since all three of the musketeers in Planchet are all, all still on the airship. Yes. It's just the handmaiden who isn't. Yeah. So we get a happy ending for our musketeers, mm-hmm. uh, for our king and queen who let's just gloss over everything and say that these two crazy kids found each other. They just might make it. Yeah. And Richelieu comes over um, to offer them positions under him because he's like hey look you won you won in this battle and i could use some guys like you so let's look, just be- you're all superheroes i'd like superheroes to work for me and of course all three of them are like ah no because you're a bad guy eh, we know you're a bad guy even aramis who is deeply religious and a for an ex-priest is like oh i should probably do that because he is a cardinal ah psych you piece of shit suck a dick cardinal <laughs> I feel like we skipped over all the good Cardinal stuff. He had a really fun speech in the middle about why you shouldn't bother fighting imaginary people. Oh, yeah. I like well, that. He finds Rochefort yeah. just sort of practicing sword fighting in his giant office chamber before he gets in there. Yeah. And he's like, ah, yes. The great thing about dueling an imaginary opponent, they're always good enough to challenge you, but easily overcome. Yeah. Every time he's like, they're impossibly skilled, and yet they invariably lose. And it's neat. He, he works it in. He's, you know, it's Christoph Waltz. So oh, even, he does even, a great job. Yeah, he's very in, understated. Even in a movie this goofy and stupid, he still comes, he, he still acquits himself well because he's fucking Christoph Waltz. Yeah. He's just constantly reading from a book with a little pair of eyeglasses. And mm-hmm. he's just like, I'm so evil. Yeah. No, and I just, love being evil. That's, I, I loved this brief period where he was in every goddamn thing because of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but there you go. That's pretty much it. The except for the end credit sequence that we mentioned, where 
a ton of boats and a ton of air boats are going to France and Buckingham's like, Hey, I mean, they blew up the Tower of London. Obviously, we're going to war. Yeah, we're going to go fuck him up for sure. Uh, and also, he's fish Milady still alive out of the water and is like, great, you're back on my side now, okay? And she's like, huh? What the fuck is going on? Well, I mean, he doesn't know for sure that she betrayed him. That's I true. mean, he has to assume, but there's no evidence. But it, it does set up that she's on the other side of the coming war with the, with Super England. So that's... I don't know. Honestly, I would have liked it if that sequel had ever come to pass. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, they're going to be there in like a, maybe a few hours, given how quickly the it's a 26 air travel... mile passage between between uh, England and France. So at the narrowest point anyway. So you got to imagine these airships are going to be there immediately. And the one that France had is currently on top of a church. <laughs> Yeah, well, they have the British one. It's crashed into Versailles. Great. They got one. It's all busted and on fire. Notably, both airbags in this movie catch on fire, and I'm curious as to what they were supposed to be filled with. Yeah. I think just hot, hot air. air. I think it was just hot air. Because you see the, yeah. uh, the like, boilers or whatever that they're using. Yeah, they hadn't figured out how to refine hydrogen yet, but they had figured out how to make airbags and float ships. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Very Montgolfier looking, too. I appreciated that. Uh, all right. So let's go ahead and give our bests and worsts for this film. Jeff, what was your favorite thing? What was the best moment of this movie? Uh, I'm going to say it's the scene where Porthos tears his chains out of the wall and, and catches oh, right some at guard. the beginning, right at the beginning. And it's because it sets the tone like the, the I don't really care for the ethos scuba ninja. That <laughs> just that, that just kind of felt like too, it felt too Hellboy to me. Uh, where the Porthos one was like, no, fuck it. I'm, I'm just taking these walls apart. I'm a big man, and that's how this movie works. I want everyone to know that of the three of us, I'm the I'm big slamu. <laughs> I was like, fuck yes. Okay, thanks for letting me know what kind of movie to expect. I'm on board now. And it was an introduction. Yeah. Um, I don't know why the Athos one didn't land for me. Probably because I just didn't like him. Yeah. He just it was just some dude with a weird deep. He seemed like he should have been playing one of the dwarves in the Lord of the Rings movies. He reminded me a lot of Rickman. Maybe of Rickman. He's, he's got a little he, Alan Rickman. in That him. is exactly what I was going to say. The, is he was a discount Alan Rickman? Yeah, they, he sounded almost exactly like him. Yes, the actor's name is Matthew McFadden, but he, but I, I can't think of a single other fucking thing he's in. I could not tell you. I don't know anything else. Let's see. IMDb. What else has this guy been in? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Nope. No, he's Death just also funeral, in a movie called Frost, Zombies. Nixon, just <laughs> serious things, and then also this. <laughs> but no, but yeah, he absolutely has a touch of the Rickman. Yeah, he's he's got a little a little bit of Rickman in him. Honestly, if you look at a picture of him here on IMDb, like without the beard and everything, he also just he's got a he's got a touch of the Rickman in him. He does, and yeah, he's, he looks like a couple of people. He also looks like. Um, Oh, I'm not going to be able to remember his name, so I'm not going to bother trying. Uh, Don't worry. Andre Brar's boyfriend slash husband on on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There you go. I know his name is Kevin something or other. That's as far as I can get. Yeah. Okay, so uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I'll say my favorite thing in this movie. I want to say my favorite beat is honestly the seeing the queen also be into the king. Like oh, that's that, so cute. That made me really happy yeah. because... There was this worry that she was going to be like, ew, you're weird. But then she's like, oh, he just invited me to like a party. I want you to get my diamond necklace that he gave me and take it to the jewelers and polish it. I want him only looking at me. 
And I was like, oh, look at you two. You're adorable. In our rush to get through this, we skipped over a bunch of cutesy stuff. Because I think there's supposed to be a whole element that everyone in the castle thinks that the king is gay. uh, Until very recently. There's a part where he meets Milady. And Milady is like... Because Milady's whole deal is that she's supposed to be like this seductive person who's always... Like attracting everyone in the room, but when she meets him, he's just like, "Okay, well, tell me about England. What's Buckingham wearing these days, so I can copy it?" He has like zero interest in her whatsoever. I I thought it was supposed to be that he he was viewed as very effeminate, but then he we're seeing his little coming out of a shell and realizing that his wife is rad. <laughs> um, so I I I'm, I'm all what I'm trying to get at here is that I appreciated it too. I was I was right there with you on that cute little. Guys, I think I love my wife routine that was happening. Yeah. Honestly, that was that was one of my favorite things in this film. Yeah. What was your least favorite thing in this film? I mean, the, the th- there's not really any particular. I, I I guess I'd probably just say D'Artagnan's uh, little murder. Deal. D'Artagnan's whole deal. <laughs> they just turned him into like this psychotic little Wolverine for no reason. I mean, honestly, I was going to say the same thing of it's that scene when he's like, Ah, I've just left home for the first time. I have met someone. I will attempt to murder them. Well, that and the one where, where he bumps into Porthos or whatever, and is like, it gets into a brief argument. That was, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to kill you in about an hour. Meet me at this field. Yeah. You? I'll kill you in about you an hour. You gave me a ticket? Fuck you. We're dueling. And I'm like, oh, it's not just insults. It's literally anything. Any inconvenience whatsoever. And he's like, well, I got to murder you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what a, why is he such a little douche? I mean... I'll go ahead and take the other part, which is what I had mentioned before, the Musketeers themselves being an asshole to Planchette. Yeah, and even yeah. when he comes through with the plan and like manages to get Milady and take the gunpowder out and is an actual linchpin of what's going on, and they're still like, shut up, idiot. Yeah, like you Planchette. Piece of shit. Wine, like, wine, 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 wine. Oh, these guys suck so bad. I mean, normally I love watching people heap abuse on James Corden. It gives me life. <laughs> But but, here, but only when he's dressed as a cat. <laughs> or just is a cat. I mean, come on. He wasn't dressed as a cat. He was in a waistcoat. He became a cat. He became a cat. He realized a cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the whole thing with every main character good guy being mostly an asshole is also probably why I got endeared to the king as much as I did, because he's the only person that wasn't an asshole to anyone. That's true. He's nice all the way through the movie. It just sort of loves his wife and doesn't know what to do he's with that He's just like, oh man, I've got these superheroes working for me, and that's hilarious. I I like my wife. It's, <laughs> it's neat. I like what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, you're just kind of an awkward kid, and I like you. Yeah. I mean, granted, the only reason he's kind of an awkward kid is because he's a sheltered aristocrat king. But, you know, the movie doesn't deal with that. The movie's just like, hey, no one in this movie's an aristocrat. This guy might as well have an office job. (laughs) Uh, All right, so let's go ahead and rate the movie, giving it each of us from zero to five to give it a rating out of ten. Jeff. Um, This is stupid enough to be worth your time. I'm going to give it a three and a half. It's it's not amazing or anything, but... It's it, it flows right on by. It's it's exceedingly stupid. It's got a lot of characters doing a lot of dumb shit. The only things that are really against it is it doesn't have any time at all to to let you get to know the characters. Yeah, uh, and I, I didn't care for that. Um, and some of the character characterizations are also kind of shitty. But you know the action set pieces are fun. It's fun. It's it's fun. It's a three and a half. What about you? Uh, I am gonna give it a three and a half as well. Pretty much all the same points you made. I think it does a really good job of 
keeping the movie going, though, like you said, that does mean there's no point where we get to sit with anyone and really have any sort of character development or with some people any character at all mm-hmm. there's in, in another marvel connection this movie reminds me a lot of the way the incredible hulk worked which is not a sequel to angley's hulk yes but it takes a lot of cues from angley's hulk and just goes like ah people saw a hulk movie like three or four years ago we don't need to explain this shit and yes it's not a sequel to that movie but it, people will be confused if he doesn't start in south america where that movie ended yeah. So it's it's it, this movie basically is like, ah, oh, come on, you fucking know who the three musketeers are. There's like 35 movies about them. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, we don't really have to go super in depth mm-hmm. on a lot of this. We can just sort of gloss that over and go, who are the three musketeers? Three dudes that work in France. Who gives a shit? Sur- Whatever. Surly one, big one, uh, n- ninja priest one. Done. <laughs> Done. F- fuck it. Go. Go. Yeah. It's it's very interesting to me that they really did just boil everyone down to, here's the one thing you care about. Go. <laughs> yeah, all the scenes of Porthos going like, can we just kill all these guys so we can go get lunch? Yeah, he's like, look, all I want to do is drink and eat and kind of carouse around and I'm just, I'm happy, I'm Porthos, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times when you see Three Musketeers adapta- adaptations, people take literally take the word Porthos because it sounds portly and make him the big fat musketeer. And I always find that fun when they do that. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Seven out of ten. Honestly, much better than I thought it would be. It's the same. I, I, I think we probably watched the right musketeer movie. Any more serious or portentous, and this would have dropped precipitously. Oh, yeah. I The thing is, I think I may have seen the Tim Curry one. I cannot remember almost any of it, and I feel like that is a thing where it says, yeah, it's probably because it wasn't that good. <laughs> I know I've seen it as well. I can remember a few of the other people that are in it. Isn't it Kiefer Sutherland or something in that? Probably. Um, but I'm trying to remember who the heck's in the 2014 one now, because that one comes after this. I didn't, Honestly, I had no idea there was a 2014 one. Oh, okay. It was a BBC thing. There you go. Okay. I that- was going to say, I don't remember a big movie coming out with that yeah that makes sense it was a bbc show called the musketeers all right then well there you go Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for joining us we uh love doing these reviews for you if you want to support the show you can head on over to patreon.com slash system mastery that is where you can get all of our bonus content. You can help support the show. Let's us keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got, of course, bonus content for all of our other shows. And this show, we've got TV Mastery. We are still going through the littlest hobo right now. And it's still great. I still love it. Every episode is weirder than the last one for some reason. Yes. it's Even though we're watching them out of order and out of sequence and, and just at random... We still are are seeing fabric weaved from what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, there is a tapestry being made. And I feel like at the end of this, we're going to pull back and see some secret message from God. It'll be a dog. (laughs) A secret (laughs) message from dog. So uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to making it. I hope you go support it. Yeah, so System Mastery on Patreon.com. And of course, if you don't have any cash on you nowadays, and who can blame you, why not just stop by iTunes, Stitcher, wherever fine podcasts are found, uh, anywhere you can leave a review for our show and leave us a review. Because every time you do that, it builds the metric and helps other people find us and helps us get bigger. And you never know, one of these days, someone who has a shit ton of money is going to take your recommendation and then we'll take their shit ton of money. 
And that's the that's way how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> that's how life is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You tell a friend, and they tell a friend, and that friend is rich, and then we get rich. Exactly. That's how it works. You don't get rich. Don't worry about it. We'll be rich, and it'll be cool when we're rich. But when we're rich, we'll pass the savings on to you. Just savings, though, not money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back in another couple weeks with some more Movie Mastery. And until then, you have a good one. <laughs>